Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Hey everyone, Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. I'm just a, I'm just a simple cleric, minding my way down, Are you? down the primrose path. I was going to ask you what, what you were. Got my staff, got my sword. Yep, you would be well outfitted then. Ready to do battle with some nerds. Oh, man. <laughs> so, uh... Have you have you played before? Okay, this is about Dungeons and Dragons, and I think that is a good move. Is two things. One caveat: if you're a big D and D person, we're not going to get everything right. We'll get what we what we can write, obviously, we're, we're but not, yeah, we're, it's not going to be as comprehensive as you want. No, we're just going to go over the basic edition. Yeah. And, and two, <clears throat> I think we should both relate our own experience so people just know. I played a little bit because this is right in my wheelhouse, dude. I, was I am like, really surprised that your I know community let you play. Um, the, the Baptist community, yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't hear it talked about much in church, but um, wow, that's surprising. In school, there were some of my friends started to play, and I played. I started to a little bit, but it was always w- way too complicated and involved for me. Uh-huh. Um, I played a little top secret. That's another role-playing game. That was like the espionage James Bond nice. D&D. So I played a little bit of that, but I never got into it, man, like other people did. And I think it's because I was so active and I was well, I would always rather be out riding my bikes, my bike, yeah, and playing at the creek near my house and building forts and zip lines and setting things on fire. Yeah. And <laughs> putting fireworks and bottle rockets and model planes and flying them off my roof. Nice. So I was doing stuff like that. I wasn't so much inside playing D&D. Or I was early. I was an early gamer. So I'd be like, screw D&D. Let's play adventure on Atari. Yeah. <laughs> and be a block with an arrow. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the real cutting edge stuff. Yeah. So that 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 was my deal. Mine was um I did all that stuff like I had a fort in the woods and I had I could make a pretty good machine gun sound and sure. um I, I did all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I also played D&D fairly extensively for oh, yeah? several summers like that were just basically spent, you know, in a, in a friend's basement playing yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. That. I think it depends on who your friend set is unless you're the initiator. Mm-hmm. Like you'll just fall in and do whatever your friends are doing. Um and here's the deal. I think this affected it too. I grew up on a street in the woods with like six houses. Yeah. I didn't grow up in one of those big sprawling neighborhoods. Yeah. Like all my other friends. So they would walk down the street and play D and D in the basement. It was just me and my bro hanging yeah, I would, out like in the woods. I would walk across the street for one group 
Then there was another one where I had to ride my bike a pretty yeah, decent, see, decent distance. I was I was uh, secluded. I was sequestered out in the in the forest. Gotcha. And I got made fun of because of that until later on when all my friends were like, "Dude, you live on two acres in the woods? That's rad." Let's have a bonfire. Exactly, and we did. So so we both played D&D, uh, and we both are not experts in any way, shape, or form. No. Like from the time I last played D and D till we started researching for this episode, I, I forgot everything basically. Over those three months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was like a pretty cool trip down memory lane, like going back and researching. This. Yeah, me too. Some because I, I didn't. I don't think I remembered how much I had played it, and it was a little bit more than I had remembered because a lot of the stuff was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that cover. I remember that box. But there was like a t- exactly. Yeah. There was a ton of new stuff that I didn't know that I learned in researching this. Oh sure. Like um, like Gary Gygax. 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 <laughs> oh, man. A bunch of people just put their robes on, put the hoods on their heads. They're like, oh, Removed earbuds. Um, Gary Gygax. Yeah. Let's call him Gary G from now on. Okay. He, uh, he is the co-creator, along with Dave Arneson, of Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. Um, and he started out as a uh, wargaming fanatic, so much so that he started Gen Con, at Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, his hometown. Yeah. Um, which is this huge gaming convention still. Um, but he started out as a war gaming convention. And that's basically where you, uh, roll dice, move little men. It's like Risk. Risk is a war game. It's like yeah. that and Axis and Allies are like quintessential sure. war games. I used to love Risk. It's a great game. But, uh, Gygax and, and his buddies were doing this before there was ever any risk. Like, they were making their own boards, they were reenacting battles or doing alternate universe battles of them. Um, and then along came Dave Arneson, who uh, kind of had this idea for something a little less stilted, a little more free form. Um, and, and he didn't quite have a, a conception of it yet, but Gygax did. He was working on something called Chainmail. And they got together, and that ultimately became kind of the first dry run of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and they liked what they were doing, and, and they kind of took it from there, and then ultimately made Dungeons and Dragons in 1974. Yeah, I th- I didn't find out a whole lot about um, about Arneson. It seems like Gygax is always the, I guess, because he was the original, like the originator of the idea. He's always the one that's revered and like. You know, bowed down to it seems he like. Is, uh, he was also, I get the impression, um, a lot more of the self promoter than Arneson is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were both very much intimately involved in the creation of oh, yeah? this game. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Gygax also, by the way, sidebar, says that he is a descendant of Goliath. Is that right? Yeah. He, well, he, he didn't, let me rephrase that. The interview I saw, he wasn't like, well, I'm a descendant of Goliath. Yeah, he wasn't like that. He was a cool guy. Yeah, he said the Gygax means giant, and supposedly, like, the family lore is that we are descendants of Goliath. Huh. So I thought that was sort of interesting. Who more appropriate than descendant of a biblical giant than to make this fantastical fantasy game? Right, exactly. You know? Um, he And there's actually, like, a really neat Wired article on him that includes a pretty decent amount on Arneson, too. Um Called uh, the Dungeon Master. Oh yeah, it's about Gary Gygax, who died in two thousand eight. We yeah. should say, um, but the two of them get together, and this is when when things are really good, and they set up something called TSR, which is a company called uh, Tactical Studies Rules, which sounds like the m- most boring 
company you could ever think of. But this company is what produced the this what became the role playing game. Yeah. Like you said, um, Top Secret was the James Bond D and D. Yeah. You didn't say Top Secret was the James Bond role playing game. No, D and D was literally <laughs> yeah, sure. literally become synonymous with role playing games, and for good reason. Like in 1974, when Dungeons and Dragons came out, there was nothing in the entire world that even remotely resembled it. Yeah, it was super unique, and that's one of the reasons why it. it you know, people always say it's like a nerd game, and you know, you sit in your basement by yourself. And they did have adventures you go in by yourself, mm-hmm. but they pointed out in this article, it's a very social game. Because you would get together with your friends and sit around a table, and you could play it straight and just sort of play, or you could start acting things out and doing funny voices and make it more like a dra- dramatic like portrayal of this game. Right. It was really kind of up to you, but it, it may have a, a nerdy uh, connotations, but Man, it, it is a does. social game. Like they're just a bunch of nerds together playing. Right. Well, and and if you look at some of the recent ads for Dungeons and Dragons um in some of the gamers magazines, it they they are still appealing to that the fact that it's a social game. They're trying to get people who play World of Warcraft to like start playing D&D again. Sure. Um and and they they're using taglines like if you're going to sit in your basement and pretend you're an elf for hours on end, you might as well do it with a group of friends. <laughs> That's a great tagline. Yeah. For a company. So um, it has been social from the beginning. And, and what, what Gygax and Arneson came up with was essentially a book of rules yeah. that used dice to advance imaginary characters along. So and then in 1977, they released the basic set. That's the red box. That's, that's right. That's the one that makes us nostalgic, right? Yes. And then the, they also simultaneously released Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, which kind of had stricter rules. It was more sweeping in scope. But they both came out in 77. That's right. Uh, and then in 79, the, the DM guide was introduced. And if you play Dungeons & Dragons in a group, you got to have a someone run in the game. And that is the dungeon master. That is the person that sits behind a little cardboard screen and, and hides all of their stories. And they're the ones who create these, uh, basically kind of write the game. And like some people will spend hours and days and weeks creating these campaigns and these games for their friends to bring to life as characters. And it's it was definitely unique at the time. So you've got all these additions, right? There's, I think, 10 now. They're working on the 10th, depending on who you ask, right? And with every edition of Dungeons & Dragons, there was a... Um, like there's a change. Sometimes there are really big changes. Like sure. in 1989, they released the second edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and like it did away with a lot of like the evil monsters because like D and D had gotten a bad rap, which we'll talk about later. Right. Um. And it, there was like a a a kind of role that you had to figure out how many hit points you lost, uh, or how many hit points were um inflicted. It was just different. And so with every edition. It's been different and different and different. Yeah. Um, and so you get adherence to different sets, different versions. Sure. Uh, so, which has kind of led to this weird fracturing in the Dungeons & Dragons community, apparently. And you know the Grabster. Yeah. Ed Grabinowski, uh, one of the writers of many of the articles that we've talked about, uh-huh. he's a bit of a D&D expert, it turns out. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and you can go check his stuff out. Um, he should on, have written the article. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Uh, he... he writes extensively on io9.com uh-huh. about D&D, so you should check out his stuff. 
He's basically saying, like, okay, you've got this big fractured community of D&D players. Uh, everybody has their own edition that's their favorite. Yeah. But everybody still wants to be able to play together, but it's just incompatible. So what he's saying is Wizards of the Coast, the people who made um, uh, Magic the Gathering and ultimately bought D&D. Yeah, in 1997. They have said, okay, this fifth edition is going to bring everything together. We'll see about that. Well, that's what Grabanowski says. Yeah. He says... Um, there's no possible way to literally unify the various editions under a single rule set. It would be like trying to build a car that uses parts from a 2010 Mustang, a 1950 Packard, and a tractor. <laughs> so he's incredulous, but they have it in like open gaming testing right now, the fifth edition. I don't see what the big deal is. I think that's one of the cool things about D&D is that depending on who you play with, uh, like find your people, you know? Like they w- might want to play a certain edition. I know that... Some players like to play with the little figurines, and some people think that's an abomination. You should only use your imagination. Some people go and make up their own uh, campaigns. Some people stick to campaigns that are in the books. So like, I think that's the cool thing about it is there's something out there for everybody, unless you're just not into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then there's nothing for you There's there. nothing for me. <laughs> um so let's talk about how to play. Like, we'll just give a brief primer. And we, since we're nostalgic for the Red Box, which is the basic set, the basic rule book that yeah. came out first in '77, um, that we're just going to go with that. Don't yell at us. <laughs> but it's a very basic, good intro to D and D for all of the other people who are listening to this one who don't know what is going on. Yeah, this is a single episode on D and D, and you could have an entire podcast that's about D and D. That you did for five years. You know what? I'll bet there are. Oh, sure. And uh, write in. Let us know. We'll tweet, <laughs> we'll tweet about it. Okay. So like we said, it is a role-playing game. So the basic concept is, by the way, you, you can't win. There is no like end point. Right. It's, it's all just about the fun of continuing with these characters that you create. Right. The, the only beginning and end really is the creation of a new character and yeah. the death of that character. Sure. And even still, if like that character dies, it sucks depending on how far along your character was, but you can always create another one. That's so, what yeah. bothered me about it, I think, is I, I was too late. Like I would cheat it and just make up characters oh, you with can't. all this great stuff. You can't do that. That's well, that's boring. why I was never invited back. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, you were that guy, huh? No, I mean, I don't remember if I was. I just remember not getting it and being like, well, my guy's good at all this stuff. I'm going to go set something <laughs> on fire. All right, so you create your character, and in the the red box in the basic set, you have these different attributes and abilities that will come into play as you play the game. And they are strength, of course. Yeah, that's pretty easy. How much you can, how much damage you can inflict uh, with a weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, wisdom, how intuitive you are. Dexterity, which is good if you're nimble. Um, it could help you with a weapon or getting in that high window on the second floor. Especially like a missile weapon, like a bow and arrow or something, if you have a high dexterity score. You want to pair that with a bow and arrow for sure. Right. Uh, Intelligence, um, how smart they are, how how much they can learn things as a character. Uh, Constitution, which is your stamina. Yeah. And how much stuff you can carry. How long you can fight. But if you have that bag of holding, you're all set. (laughs) Uh, And then charisma, which is your likability. So... Uh, if you want to hook up and make friends or uh, get out of a fight with some bad character, right. that's when that's going to come into play. And all these are determined by rolls of the dice. Yeah, like everything we just talked about is represented by a number. Um, and then in addition to the armor class of the character, which um, is a number that represents, say, how easy it is to inflict damage sure. on that character. Uh, and then the number of hit points, which is 
uh, I guess, a representation of um, basically how much life you have left. To it's use your like health. A, right, exactly. Like on a video game, that would be your health bar. Exactly. Um, and you put all these together, and you have a character that, so long as it can stay alive, can go out and go forth into the D&D universe and, and adventure indefinitely, basically. <laughs> uh, all right, so there were seven playable characters in the in the basic set. And I think I remember being a cleric, but the first one is a fighter, mm-hmm. and that's what you think. They're they're stronger and they're better at fighting, and they're probably not as smart or as uh, charismatic as like another character might be. It depends. You can have high charisma, like in the D and D, the basic sets players manual. Yeah. The the first character they hook you up with has high charisma and high strength. Oh, really? But strength is the the prime requisite for being a fighter. Yeah. Okay, so a cleric. I think I was a cleric. Uh, that's sort of a fighter and a, and a wizard. So they they have good fighting abilities, but they're also uh, very dexterous and wise. And yeah, uh, you can cast spells, which is very important. Right. But the difference between a cleric and uh, a magic user, which is the next one, is that a cleric receives spells through meditation. That's right. So they have to sit around and rest sometimes before they can get a new spell. Um, and they also can turn undead, which yeah. means literally. Turn the undead the other way. Sure. Uh, so if you have a zombie on your trail, you're, it's good to have a cleric to say, hey, zombies, turn around. I Did they actually have you. zombies? Were they called zombies? Zombies is one. Were they? Ghouls is another undead. Skeletons. I didn't, see, I didn't play enough. I don't know any of this stuff. I didn't either until I went back and read yeah. the entire player's <laughs> manual again the other day. So a magic user can do cool things like throw balls of lightning mm-hmm. and um, learn other spells learn new spells without meditation. Correct? No, it's learning from book learning, which means you have to have the prime requisite is a high intelligence score. For right, it's not user. a meditative thing. Right, it's yeah. just from learning books. Uh, you have the dwarf, of course. Uh, what fantasy game would be complete without it? Yeah. Four feet tall, got that beard. Males and females have a beard. Yeah, and uh, and just like in like Lord of the Rings, they're, they're kind of ornery and super strong and have great constitution. Yeah. And, of course, they're good fighters because they're little short mean boogers. Right. Um, you've got the thief, which you would think, um, and it took me a long time to figure this one out, too. The thief, you, you why would you want to have a thief around? The, the person's going to steal from you. I love a thief. Well, a thief typically doesn't steal from people they're adventuring with, um, but they do know how to find uh, secret doors, yeah. traps. Pick locks. Pick locks. Uh, yeah, and so they have a very high dexterity score. Yeah, but they're, they're also going to turn their back on you in a battle because it they're, depends. they're not great fighters. Okay, right. You don't want them near the battle. You want them like kind of off to the side, get out of the way, and yeah. let's get the fighter in there, maybe a dwarf or two as well. But yeah, the thief is just kind of meant to stand back and maybe be like, get him, yeah, get him over there, <laughs> suck it to him, and just cheer along. Uh, you've got halflings. They are even smaller than the dwarfs. They're only three feet tall, about 60 pounds, and they are demi-humans. And, um, they're dexterous, and they have a great constitution. They're tough to hit because they're tiny, Mm -hmm. and so they're good fighters. They're very spry. Yeah. Um, they're also, like dwarves and elves, capable of sustaining magic attacks. Right. Um, which leads us to elves. It's another demi-human character, and they're a cross between fighters and magic users, so they have high strength and high intelligence. And, and it's not, you don't just say with any of these, like, oh, I want an elf. So you roll until you have something with high intelligence and high strength. Yeah. You can. You're not supposed to. Well, you're supposed to roll and come up with your uh, ability scores first and then figure out what you have based on those scores. Yeah. And 
it is interesting, and one thing I do remember is that it is about the imagination. And even though these these characters exist as a series of numbers on a chart, is all it is, um, you create them in your mind, and that's the fun part about it. And like I never started acting things out like I've seen other people do. Yeah, which can go overboard pretty easy. Yeah. Um, and I guess that was sort of the precursor to what ended up being LARP, was just sitting around the kitchen table doing accents and things. And then right. some people thought, hey, let's let's go outside and take these broomsticks and actually yeah. do this fight. You got you got some cardboard? I'm in the mood for making some swords. Yeah, I'm really an active guy. I think, I, you know, sitting around this table is no good. Right. <laughs> um, so you said that everything's represented numerically, and that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, except there's one thing that, that kind of lends itself to acting, uh, or at the very least decision-making uh, of a character, and that's alignment. And there's three kinds of alignment in basic D&D. There's uh, lawful, which is what we would equate with good. Good guys. Where if you have a lawful character, they're they're probably the hero type. They're sure. going to put their own skin on the line in order to save the group. They're certainly not going to turn and run without the rest of the group doing the same. Yeah. Um, chaotic is the opposite of that. It's what we would equate with evil. Yeah, they just sort of look out for themselves, forget the group. And you'd think that would be the worst one. But apparently the worst is neutral because you can't tell. They're just going to do whatever's best for them no matter what. Well, that's neutral is very – it's animalistic. Yeah. Um, where it's basically just about the survival of, of the the individual. And uh, if you have a neutral person, they might fight with the group if they feel like the group's going to win and this sure. will protect them. Yeah. Or they may just turn and run with, hey, no hard feelings. I got nothing against you, but I'm just very uh, instinctual. That's what neutral is. That's right. Um, Those are the alignments. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey, everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website. Whether it's an online course or custom merch, Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee, or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com slash stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. There are uh, all manner of like 
shelter and weapons and foods and all these different things you can pick up along the way, mm-hmm. uh, and even languages that if you approach a character and they don't speak your language, then you can't communicate and you have to take a different path on your adventure. But everyone can speak at least two. Uh, universal and then alignment tongue. And alignment tongue allows you to speak to other characters in that same alignment right? So without so you, the other people knowing what's being said. Right. And so if, it's your private little conversation. Exactly. So if, if both of us were chaotic magic users, right, Chuck? Yes. And there was a, somebody playing and there was a fighter who was lawful, we could say, hey, let's put a charm spell um, on this guy and make him do our bidding. Right. Um, and so the player is going to know what we're doing, but the character wouldn't. Yeah. And the person responsible for keeping all of this separate, you mentioned earlier, the dungeon master. The head nerd. Right. The dungeon master <laughs> is in charge of saying things like, you wouldn't know that, when the fighter says, uh, I want to kill um, the the two magic users who are about to use a charm on me. Dungeon master would say, your character doesn't know that because they just spoke in their alignment tongue. Yeah. And boy, dungeon master is a specific kind of person. It, it takes a lot of work. And you can get as involved as you want to, but no matter which way you slice it, if you're the DM, you're going to be putting in some time coming up with these things, even these before, stories. Even before the beginning. Even before you sit down. And it's, uh, I'd be curious to find some correlation between people that were dungeon masters when they were like 12 in the late 70s and early 80s mm-hmm. and what they ended up doing with their life. Yeah, that would be an interesting study. Because they, uh, I would say that a lot of them are probably running companies and running the show wherever they are because it takes a great deal of initiative and patience yeah. and like stamina and creativity and all these things to be a great dungeon master. Plus a sense of justice as well. You have to be fair. Oh, which yeah. I'm sure doesn't always sit well with the group. Um, and yet, like you were saying, like they, they, it does take creativity. It takes also a total and utter awareness of the game. Like while everybody's just creating their players, the DM has to show up to that very first game, yeah. n- having read the player's manual, yeah. having read the Dungeon Master's Guide, understanding all the rules. And then if you're using a game module, which, you know, TSR published tons of games, oh, yeah. um, which essentially are maps of an area yeah. that the Dungeon Master has access to. Sure. Uh, and then running the whole game as a whole, like understanding what players can do, what players can't do, um, you have to understand how much damage a, a, a monster can inflict. Let, let's give an example. Like the Dungeon Master's Guide is, is intimidating. Yes, it to is. To me as an adult. Yeah. So I don't know how these kids at 12 were sitting down and figuring this stuff out. Well, so they, they have the appearance of omniscience, and any Dungeon Master kind of cultivates this this idea that sure. they are all-knowing. But like you said, they're hiding behind a cardboard screen. And behind that screen is like the Dungeon Master's Guide, the game module, which has everything clearly yeah, marked and all maps, that. All that so they, stuff. they have everything at their disposal, but uh, they're still a revered person, typically, the Dungeon oh, Master. Yeah. They're omniscient. Well, because I don't know how many 12-year-olds have the initiative to take this on. There was, I think it's about right. It's probably about one out of every 10 kids has the initiative to be the Dungeon Master, right. and the rest just want to be characters. Well, so that it was, worked out. That was a big problem with the game, was like sometimes you couldn't find somebody to yeah, be DM because sure. it was a lot of work. You yeah. know? So let's give an example of, of play, if you'll indulge me. Okay. So, okay, we got a group of characters. They're on a campaign in a dungeon. Ooh. And by the way, you know, the, the, um, the reason why it became Dungeons & Dragons, um, why they chose Dungeons was because 
they didn't want players being able to just kind of wander all over the place. They wanted to kind of keep them together in sure. small, confined spaces. And a dungeon or a cave system or something like that was a pretty good yeah. way to keep everybody together. Catacombs, man. It's all about the catacombs. Right. So your, your, uh, your group of characters are on a campaign in the dungeon. And the DM might say something. Like, this is in the middle of the game. The DM is in charge of telling you what's going on, where you are, describing your environment. So they, he, he or she may say, uh, you're in a long, dark corridor. You see a faint light at one end. To your right is a 10 feet by 10 feet door. It is locked. Do you want to try to pick the lock or continue down the corridor toward the, toward the light? And so the players decide to have the thief pick the lock, right? Because that's what you do. Now, here's what I, I don't get, and I don't know if you know this. Is it, do you get together as a group and decide and, like, take a vote? Or is yes. it someone's turn to, like, say, no, uh, it's my turn and I make the thief go? It depends. So, first of all, before, on a campaign, uh-huh. you have a caller, and that's the person who speaks to the DM for the group. Okay. But the caller is also in charge of saying, uh, hey, what do you guys want to do? And then saying that to the DM. Okay. So, they're the just the voice of the, the group. Right. They okay. don't make any decisions. The group's supposed to decide as a whole. Okay. Um, and the DMs are sitting there going, hmm, little do they know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then there are turns as well, especially in combat. Now, if, like, you have... Three fighters and a thief, uh-huh. and they're suddenly battling um, uh, um, uh, Minotaur. Okay. Um, the thief is going to be like, I'm standing over here. Yeah. And the DM will leave them out of the turns. Okay. And there'll be the thief and the Minotaur, and or the uh, one fighter and the Minotaur, and the next fighter and the Minotaur, and blah, blah, blah. It'll just keep going on like that. Okay. That makes sense. All um, right. So back to our little story. The door is locked. Do you want to pick the lock? We decide. Let's send our thief in to pick the lock. Okay, so so what happens? The DM? Well, they got to roll the dice, and that's how you figure out if things work. So if you're a thief, uh, that means you're really good at picking locks. So let's say it's a 20-sided die, and all you got to do is roll like a four or higher to successfully pick it. So that just means your chances are really good that you'll be able to pick the lock. If right. you don't have a thief, you can send your fighter in to pick the lock, but you may have to roll like a 16 or higher. You would think so, but fighters can't pick locks at all. Not at all. Oh, okay. They just so sit there only, and like bang on the door. So only can certain characters can like you can't even try if they if they don't have that. What I believe so in basic D and D, like only no. thieves. Okay. Are definitely not fighters. So if you don't have a thief in your campaign, then right. the DM wouldn't even say, "Do you want to pick the lock?" They may say, "Do you want to try to bust the door, bust down, the door down?" But the DM might also know in the game module it's unbust downable. It can right. only be picked. Man. So, okay. so, um, it, a lot of work goes into this on the DMs. It part. is for sure because you're rolling for everything, and you were yeah. saying they rolled to find out if the thief was successful, and that that would be based on that low number. Like if you just need to roll a four, sure, that's in relation to the dexterity score because yeah, it yeah. takes high dexterity to pick a lock. So the higher dexterity score, the lower you have to roll. Yeah, to which get in gives that door. you on a twenty sided die a lot more of a chance that you're going to be successful at picking the lock. It's all rolling of the dice in, That's in numbers. Right. So in this case, the DM knows that on the other side of that door is the gelatinous cube, and yeah. that is bad news if you're playing D and D. Which, if you're an experienced D and D player, that ten feet by ten feet door probably would have given it away because that's the exact dimensions of a gelatinous cube, which has evolved to move through the doors of a uh, dungeon. Yeah, I would be dead so soon. So what happens? The door opens. There's the gelatinous cube. Boom. And then you got to do battle. And when you're doing battle, you do it again by rolling dice. And you get these hits. You have the hit points that we referenced earlier. And let's say you got to roll, all right, these two four-sided dice. 
um, you got to roll each one once, and the, the, those will be the the licks that the gelatinous cube puts on you. Right. And if it totals seven or higher, then you're dead. Yeah, exactly. And if you had, Chuck depending on your hit points, <laughs> if you have seven hit points, it, yeah, you'd be dead. So that, I mean, that's generally the game. You can get experience points, which are huge. Which is, this? it's interesting to note, experience points, that's what you do to, like, grow as a character, to get yeah. more hit points, to become more invincible, more experience. Just kill a monster and you'll get experience points. But you get way more experience points for getting treasure. And the authors of the basic D&D rule books point out, like, this is... The, the, we want you to use your head. Right. How do you get around confrontation? Oh, to go find the loot? Right, which if you battle a monster, you deserve something. Sure. But the point isn't killing. The point is, is using your head to, to get around problems as well. And that's why you get more for treasure. Huh. Yeah. Well, look at there. I had a thing. I think we made it up because I looked it up and I couldn't find it called a bag of plenty, not a bag of holding. A bag of holding was... You could put like anything large in it and still be able to carry it. Like I found like all this food and I normally wouldn't be able to carry it, but your bag of holding would allow that. Right. Isn't that right? Did you have to keister it? I don't know what that means. Like up the butt? Yeah. <laughs> You're the first person who's ever said up the butt when somebody said keister. What are you supposed to say? You just know what keister means. Oh. <laughs> Otherwise you would just say up the butt. Yeah. All right. Um, no, I would not keister it, but I had something called a bag of plenty. And you guys made that up, or I don't remember, man, because I didn't find it anywhere. The only thing I found was something called a bag of plenty plus one at, in Baldur's Gate, which was a video game I had played once. But mm-hmm. I think those Baldur's Gate related to D and D somehow. Yeah, as well. it seemed like, a, it was like one of the variations. Yeah, so I didn't know that. But we or played a rip with. Off. I don't know. Well, maybe what we played was with the bag of plenty, which is it would double whatever you put in it. So if you had like twenty gold coins, you put it in your bag of plenty, and you'd have, you know, double that amount. Right. But I think we might have made that up because I can't verify that anywhere. I wonder how many um, how you just inadvertently admitted to playing Baldur's Gate. I wonder how many people are just like, well, his credibility's out the window. No, I think He's Baldur's, a Baldur's Gate, Gate player. I think people enjoy that. No, I, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I, if, I vaguely remember it too. It was one of those games that I played on uh, like PS2 for three months until I completed it, and then I was done with it. Gotcha. You know. So if if any of that even slightly piqued your interest, I would strongly recommend going and researching and maybe trying out. There's usually, uh, if you go on meetup.com, you can find in probably just about any even semi-major city mm-hmm. uh, a D&D group. Oh, sure. And apparently Wednesdays are typically days at like comic book shops and gaming shops and stuff like that that have D&D groups where it's just kind of like uh, anybody who wants to come can can come by and, and nice. try their hand at it. I think they're a very open community. Yeah. Well, it, it depends. Oh, really? Oh, sure. Like if you tried to come in and like just plop down and like, hey, I want to join this game that you guys well, have been playing for seven years. Yeah, they wouldn't like me. No. I'd be like, oh, I got a bag of plenty. That's why <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like, Baldur's Gate. Um, I did try last night to play the online version. Yeah. Because I thought, you know what? I'm going to give it a whirl. I downloaded this Mac beta version that was like eight gigs. It took a couple of hours to download. Wow. And then there was some error in loading and it wouldn't work. I was like, all right, well, that sucks. Let me go get my PC laptop. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, me, I'm rich. I have like eight different kinds of laptops. I know. They're like falling (laughs) out of your pocket. So I went to my PC laptop and tried to sign up and download the PC version and 
it wouldn't recognize me. It wouldn't let me because I'd already signed up with that name. (laughs) And so it was like midnight and I said, screw this. Yeah. But I I think I might try and play the online version just to see what it's like. Yeah, it's called DDO. Yeah. We're not getting into that. It's a whole other thing. But um, there's a good article by Jonathan Strickland on uh, Dungeons & Dragons Online that you can find on how stuff works. So so I say go check it out. And if not, if it didn't really pique your interest, at the very least, I imagine you would be interested to know that for many, many years, uh, there were a lot of people with loud voices who considered uh, Dungeons and Dragons to be thoroughly satanic. Yeah. And uh, it didn't help that, uh, what was the year that the guy? 79. James Egbert. James Dallas Egbert III. He went by Dallas. Yeah. This was a kid at Michigan State University. and so sad. He went missing and they, uh, the story out and the one that was later disproven, but the one that really got around in the news was that he disappeared into uh, the tunnel system underneath the school playing D&D and died doing so. Yeah, he was a 16-year-old, by the way, computer prodigy in 79. So there's like not such a thing as computer prodigies then. He's like one of the first. Right. He's at Michigan State. And he actually did go in the steam tunnels, and he went to go kill himself to take an overdose on barbiturates. Yeah. But it didn't work, and he came to in the steam tunnels. Yeah, and it had nothing to do with Dungeons & Dragons, but it was announced so in the news, and that's sort of what people remembered at the time. Right. And they used that as fuel, of course, to fuel the fire of this is an evil game, satanic. They made a movie with Tom Hanks. Yeah, Mazes oh. and Monsters. Mazes and Monsters. Man, do you remember seeing that when it first came out? It was a TV movie. Yeah, and, and it, I guess you know it's just sort of loosely told a slightly fictionalized version of James uh, Egbert's uh you know, the sensationalized version, right. not the real version. Tom Hanks plays a guy who gets so wrapped up in his character that he um, he just has a break with reality. Yeah. He disappears. But they find him again, but he still thinks that he's uh, Pardue, the cleric. And I call him Pardue, <laughs> the cleric who lives with his parents now because they take him back home and he's just some crazy dude. Yeah. Um, I don't think any there was any better reaction to Dungeons & Dragons than Dark Dungeons by Chick Publications. I didn't know about that. So Chick Publications make religious tracks uh-huh. on everything about um, they're extremely fundamentalist Christian, um, and they have tracks on everything from how the new Jesuit pope is in league with the devil uh-huh. to how if you are a mason, you are become possessed by a heathen god. Okay. Um, and they're basically like these easy-to-read comic books. You're not familiar? No. I might have, if I saw one, I might recognize it. So, and then they publish them and they, they sell them so you can go hand them out and proselytize to people on the street. It's like a, an icebreaker, basically. Okay. But Chick Publications came up with the, mwah, the creme de la creme of anti-D&D material. Propaganda? It, yes. <laughs> and it's called Dark Dungeons and it's a comic strip about a girl who becomes, who starts playing D&D. And then is recruited into a real life witchcraft coven by the dungeon master because Dungeons and Dragons is just this front for Satanists to like find the best of the best to come do the real thing. And one girl who becomes so wrapped up in her character, once her character dies, she goes and hangs herself in her room. That sounds familiar. I might have been forced to read that at some point in my life. You should life. check it out. And as a matter of fact, I wrote a, a blog post on um, these and some other ones about how it's called Back When People Thought Dungeons & Dragons Was Satanic. It's on our site, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. Nice. And there's, it was it's really interesting. Like There was this period yeah. that coincided with that whole satanic ritual abuse scare. 
Yeah, with the heavy metal music. Yeah, and, yeah. that got Judas Priest on, t- on sure. trial, ran, landed the West Memphis Three yeah. in prison. Um, it, it was a real thing. Satanic and hysteria. And, yes, and Dungeons and Dragons was, if not the originator of this huge part of it, it was in the center of it for a long time. Wow. But it came out because, thanks in part to the um, Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Yeah, it had a cartoon. They had a movie, which wasn't very good. Um, I'm surprised they haven't redone that movie. Uh, yeah. I'm so, I bet they will at some point. I wrote a Time Magazine article that was saying, like, why is Dungeons & Dragons not, like, a huge franchise? And yeah. they didn't really get to the bottom of it. They kind of settled on, well, it's made a billion dollars for its owners. Sure. Um, it's in, I think, a dozen languages. Um, I think 20 million people have played it. So it does have a huge following, but... Yeah. They were saying, like, it's not the Lord of the Rings, and why not? And I think possibly because it's just totally open-ended. And it's That's the, what I think. It's the individual. Yep. Lord of the Rings, you go read, and there's a it's story, a and it happens. And, yeah, you're kind of imagining it, yeah. but you're just imagining what Tolkien is ex- explaining to you. And Gygax, by the way, thought Tolkien sucked. Oh, really? Yeah, he was into Conan. Sure. So, um, <laughs> Not O'Brien. No. The barbarian. Right. <laughs> so uh, um, with Tolkien, you're told. With D&D, like you, man, you're totally using your imagination. And yeah. even more than that, something as strange as a group imagination, a group of people using their imaginations together. Yeah. And kind of that interlocks. Like that's high level stuff. Well, it is high level. And that's exactly why a movie failed and probably would not succeed is because – for a D&D movie to work, you have to satisfy the D&D fans. Mm-hmm. And no matter who, for a movie, you have to create some hero character. Right. And that's not going to satisfy all D&D people. No matter who you create and what story you create, there are going to be D&D fans that think, no, nah, my what my guy was way better than this chump. Right, exactly. And you call that a white dragon? A white dragon would never do yeah, that. Yeah, because it lived in my imagination as this. So yeah. I agree. I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah. It's a great success at Although least. the cartoon was pretty well received, I think. It is uh, still. It's a classic. Yeah, okay, but that's that's different. It's, it was nominated for greatest uh, cartoon shows of all time, 1970 and 1988. By you? <laughs> no, by <laughs> listeners. I, I, I put a list up and said, does anybody have any other nominees? And on our website, people nominated more, and Dungeons & Dragons was one. Yeah. So it's up there. I think Scooby-Doo won. Oh, of course. It, DuckTales was a hard contender. Yeah, I never watched that. I was surprised. Yeah. Uh, let's see. You got anything else? No, I mean... There are dozens of offshoots and different games and different modules, and like we only covered a very small part of it. Uh, the universe is is vast. The D and D universe is vast. It is. Go forth and check it out. Yeah. You say we. Uh, T- it, tape up those glasses and check it out. And if you uh, if you want to uh, learn more about Dungeons and Dragons, type those words into the search bar at howstuffworks.com, and it will bring up some cool stuff. Oh, by the way, it has sort of been known as like a, a guy's thing. But there's a, a rabid female community with D&D, and I saw – I watched a documentary last night on Dungeons & Dragons. It was mm-hmm. pretty good. What was it called? Um, the Dungeons & Dragons Experience, I think. You know, there's it's another like – there's like a pretty serious other documentary that's being – it got kickstarted. Oh, really? That's in, It's in production right now. Yeah, this one was okay. It wasn't great. But it did interview a, a, a female, a woman, and she was like, yeah, you know, I think a lot of girls, they see it as a guy thing, and they're like, guy nerd, so – they're reluctant to get into it, All right. but the the girls that I know that have gotten into it have have uh, found that it 
you know, it's really not like a guy sing after all. And they have just as much fun. And um, it looks, I don't know, it's a fun community. Yeah. It is funny. They showed them playing, though, at one point. And they definitely get, like, the dungeon master is just sort of going on and on. And the players will say things in character like, I'm not sure what to do after such a long story and stuff like that. And uh, they're t- taking, like, barb shots in character. It's pretty yeah, funny. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to do it. I guess so. Actually, however you and your group of friends want to do it and have fun doing it, that's the way to do it. Yeah, unless it veers towards Satanism and like real But it occult. doesn't. That was all made up. <laughs> I know. Uh, if you want to learn more, didn't I already say this thing? Yeah, I interrupted. Okay, so I said search bar, which means it's time for a message break. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now it's listener mail, right? Josh, I'm going to call this. D&D, listener mail for D&D podcast. That's a really clumsy title. <laughs> How amazing is this? Uh, this is pretty cool, actually. Hey, guys, I'm a big fan of the uh, podcast and the TV show. I work for the uh, Ford Motor Company at the Kentucky Truck Plant in Louisville, mm-hmm. and I'm an assembly line worker, and you can imagine my job gets pretty monotonous. I put on passenger side doors on trucks, on 540 sp- a night. On specific trucks. <laughs> he does. He can't just throw any door on any truck. No. It's all very specific. But if you own a Ford Super Duty and you open your passenger drawer, you can thank this dude for it. That's true. You can thank Jeremy Elmore. Um, so anyway, he's been listening for a little while, and he's listened to all but five of the shows. And uh, he's getting on his wife's nerves. We hear this a lot when one spouse is sort of annoyed that doesn't listen mm-hmm. about the other one getting smart. Right. And I think everyone just needs to start, you know, taking care of business in the household. What what does that mean? Get the other spouse on board. Oh, get gotcha. them listening. That way you can circumvent this defense yeah. mechanism of feeling threatened. So that's what his wife does. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know. What'd you learn from Chuck and Josh? Like, just listen. <laughs> so 
He goes on to say, the great thing about the show is you two are very relatable to me. I'm a couple of years younger than Josh, so I love hearing about your childhood stories. From G.I. Joe, adolescent shoplifting, and Dungeons and & Dragons, going to panic shows, watching Seinfeld, and now marriage, I feel like I've grown up with you guys. So I want to send you something. My father, this is where it gets good, uh-huh. is Larry Elmore. He is a freelance artist who used to paint for TSR and D&D. Yeah. So like the blog post that you used, that was his father's artwork. Yeah, the blog post. I wrote a blog post on it, right? Yeah. On, on D&D being satanic. Yeah. And that was like, just by chance, this dude's father. Uh, his name is Larry Elmore. Like I said, he um, Dragon Con and D&D have been mentioned on your podcast before. It made me want to send you something. So he has a 20 years art of art book. I can't wait to get this. I can't either. It came out a decade ago, but it's still really cool, and I want you both to have one. He has a new one coming out in August as well, so consider this a plug, I guess. Um, he has already personalized them for me, for you guys, and I need to know how to get them to you. That uh, is so cool. It is very cool. He asked me, this is even cooler, because he asked who they were for. He explained it to Pops, and now he is listening to the show. In his studio while he's at... Uh Illustrating. So by the time this comes out, hopefully uh, Larry Elmore is listening to the podcast about D&D. What's up, Larry Elmore? So all that, he was like one of the first, or maybe the first artist early on when they did this. He was so. definitely an early one because the, the, the illustration that I used was uh-huh. from the 1983 edition of the basic set. Yeah. Um, so he would have, yeah, that's pretty early. Well, I went to his website and looked at his art, and like all those iconic images yeah. that I remember were him. So. That's really, I can't wait to get that yeah, book. Yeah, it's very cool. So thank you, Jeremy Elmore in Louisville, and yeah. thank you, Larry. And uh, that was it. Yeah, thanks to you both. Um, if you want to send us something, especially if your dad is um, an inadvertent idol of Chuck's and mine, Agreed. Um, we want to hear from you. So you can uh, tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And then why not just go see if we're sitting in our home on the web, on the couch, maybe watching a little TV. That home is called StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by jackthreads.com. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.